In episode 6.1 of Unshuffled, we discuss the first album from Texas Thrasher's power trip called Manifest Decimation. But first, here's Seven Planets. Scotty D. Matt, how are you, sir? <laughs> Very well. Very well. And may I start by saying a big happy Thanksgiving to you and to all our American listeners. Uh, so happy Thanksgiving to you all. Hope your turkey was uh, suitably stuffed and you found a bargain at the uh, Black Friday sales. Maybe your NFL team won. All of that good stuff that you Americans enjoy. Well, well thank you. And... And and happy Thanksgiving to you too. It's a, it's a wide tent. We'll 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 bring you in on it. Anything that involves eating lots of food and watching sport, I'm in for. So happy to be included in that holiday. This Thanksgiving, I am giving thanks to our 12 or so listeners around the world. I think we're up to about 12, and it's good to know that one of them is Adele. She's outed herself as an unshuffled listener. So. I don't, I don't have Spotify. I don't, I don't use Spotify, so I'm not really entirely sure how this works. But you do, right? So you can correct me on this. Yeah. But somehow she has single-handedly revolutionized Spotify's uh, sort of formatting system, right? I get. Was it? I, I still, I'm still not entirely clear. But as I understand it, she wanted her album to be listened to, start to finish, as it was sequenced. And yeah. so does Spotify have, is it an automatic shuffle? Like, is that is that the default? Uh, well, I don't think it's automatic. You can listen to an album. I'm not sure if it's automatic or not, but there's certainly, it's very obvious that you can shuffle an album. And most people probably don't even listen to albums. They just pick an artist and start shuffling around their, their catalog. And, and Spotify will sort of, pick whatever it thinks the listener might want to listen to next. But Adele doesn't want that. She wants listeners to listen to her album from start to finish, which is very much in line with our ethos here. So she made it basically so the album is unshuffleable. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) She heard our call. let's, Let's hope that other artists follow suit because I think, you know, it's one step to the revolution. Gil Scott Heron said the revolution will not be televised, but uh, what he left off was that it will be podcasted. And this is it. You're listening to it. This is the revolution that Adele has now joined in, the unshuffled revolution. So welcome, listeners. This is unshuffled. We're bringing back the album, Us and Adele. We're doing it band by band, album by album, track by track. And today we've got a new band. So it's always exciting when we move on to a new band and we get a whole new lexicon to, to talk about the, the band and we can start using the word anthemic in different ways. And, you know, there's a real shift in, we've got a real shift in genre today. The band we've chosen is Power Trip, a Texas-based thrash band from the sort of 2010s from the last decade or so and uh we're getting into some real metal 
with a capital M and our horns raised high in the air on this one. So our first really, well, I guess Gojira were really metal, but this is like old school thrash. It's funny that you call it, I was, that you call it old school. And and I'll talk about that when we go through the, when I go through the album notes, but there's mm-hmm. definite, there was a definite attempt made here to, to, to make it old school. Yeah, this uh, sort of nostalgic vibe they're going for. So we'll get into that very soon. Perhaps uh, before we do that, we should talk about the broader details of the album. So as always, we can talk about the album details. We'll have a quick discussion of the artwork before we get into the track by track. So take it away, Scotty. What do you got for us? All right. Album is Manifest Decimation. It's their first, at least on a major release. There are rumors of, I think there was other something, like an EP or something floating out there prior to this. Uh, it was released on June 11th, 2013, produced by Arthur Riz, Rizik. Rizk. Uh, he's produced Sacred Reich, uh, Seer, Cavalier Conspiracy, who I believe is, is on the docket for us, um, and then a bunch of other bands that are named after early Metallica songs. It was recorded at... SC Recording Studio in Argyle, Texas, and then at Solomon's Gate in Philadelphia. Lineup is uh, Riley Gale, the five-piece Riley Gale on vocals, Blake, either Ibanez or Ibanez, I don't know how. Anyway, on guitar, uh, Nick Stewart, which, what an apt name for a guitarist, by the way. Uh, Nick Stewart, rhythm guitar, Chris Wetzel on bass, and Chris Ulsh, who is billed as drummer and guitar, but I think he's just drums on this album. I think we talk about him playing guitars on the next one. Uh, release date, have you given us that? It, June 11, 2013. So about eight years old. About It's been out for about eight years, which makes the sound of it particularly interesting. Oh, and then the. Yeah. do you want to talk about the artwork now? Yeah, we can get into the artwork. Paolo yeah. Madman Gerardi did the cover art, but... The design and the layout was Samantha Mooljot from the Abrams album covers. Oh, I never picked that up. Well done. It's a very old school layout too. It looks like something you would have found in a record store, you know, in the in the 80s in your local metal record store back then. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 a very much a respectful throwback to sort of your 80s thrash kings. Yeah, with the band pictures of the band members in action on the back and I mean, they've even on the CD made the effort to break it into side A and side B. So there's a, you know, this is designed to be a two-side album. And, you know, everything about this from the moment you pick it up and look at the artwork and the liner notes and everything just screams old school. Like this feels like you're you're stepping back in time from the moment you, you pick it up. The artwork, what are your thoughts? Oh, I I mean, yeah, I, it's... it's I... Yeah, it's too. I I don't know. It's busy. It's it's busy. I like. I do kind of like if I'm if I'm bringing Samantha Muljet back into it. I like. She's got sort of a she herself when she designs the artwork. It's more kind of. It's cleaner. I I haven't seen a, a big enough print of it to really kind of be able to understand exactly what's happening. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, we'll talk themes as we go through the album. But I believe they sent the lyrics to him, and he drew the artwork based on the lyrics so it's very much like there's a big there's a kind of skull slash brain thing 
in the middle of it all with some machine gun bullets around it. Some, so it's very, it seems to be a comment, a sort of anti-military industrial complex kind of artwork, talking about the death and destruction that can be wreaked by the military industrial complex is my reading of it. Very dark. So when I start listening to an album, I tend to not only get rid of everything, all the media off my phone and just put the album itself on, but then I also put the artwork on as my screen background. And yeah, this is full of reds and browns and blacks. Very, uh, a very earthy, rusty palette on this one. So quite dark, suitably dark and, and, you know, very metal as everything else on this album is very metal. Uh, a reminder to our listeners, you should have listened to this album by now. We, this is intended to be a companion listening piece to the listening that you've already done. If you haven't listened to this album, we recommend that you stop now and go and do it because we want you to have your own opinions on this when you're listening to us discuss it. And you only get one first time with an album. So if you haven't had that with this album yet, go and do it. You don't even have to necessarily buy the physical media just yet. If you want to sample it, it's on Spotify. The artist will still get a little bit of money if you listen to it on Spotify. But remember to do what Adele does and turn off that damn shuffle button. Uh, Shall we get into the track by track? Now, I'm going to preface this track by track by saying this is, I think, the hardest track by track we've done. And I think it might be the quickest too. Firstly, because there's only eight tracks. And secondly, the comments I have about one track tend to be applicable to all tracks. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between them. So as we go through, I'm just going to highlight the different things about each track because really there's only so many ways you can say great riffs and, you know, all the other things we're going to say. There's not a great deal of variation. It's not like they break out a power ballad or something at any point. So I think this will be one of the quickest and arguably more difficult track-by-tracks we've done. But let's give it a go anyway. Do you want to take us away? Yeah, I can. Do you think the next album's going to have their more than words? Their, their <laughs> sort of... Yeah. Did they Nothing save that for the matter. second album? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so the first track is Manifest Decimation. It is the title track. Um, kind of a, a play on Manifest Destiny, right? Uh, mm. Which when we get into the politics of it is, is I mean, they, it's kind of, it wasn't, I don't think that they just chose it because it sounded cool. I mean, they do the idea of manifest destiny. If it's the, if it's sort of that where the U S is supposed to spread democracy, uh, as destined by God, the, the, the political bent they take here, I see where they're kind of playing with that title. So it's, it's not, it, it doesn't feel as a throwaway title as I was afraid it would be. Yeah. All right. I so, agree. Um, uh, anyway, th- th- we've got, you start off with just kind of this opening wall of distortion that's just sort of closing in on you. And, and, and from there we get, th- we get sort of this pummeling of drums, but there's this sort of the drums are still kind of in the background. They're not brought up in the forefront in the mix. And, and, and that's intentional as we'll talk about later, but the drums are there. They come busting through and we've, we've got this pick scratch going down the neck of the guitar followed by this punishing scream. I mean, it's just, everything's reminiscent of old, old school thrash. Mm. And, and this is where they've in interviews, they've talked about intentionally sort of pushing uh, the vocals and the drums in the back, bringing up the the guitar and just sort of as a response to kind of, 
the the slick thrash albums, which I didn't realize, to be honest with you, that thrash albums had gotten slick, uh, but yeah. they had. And um, yeah, but I, overall, I think this song, as, as an opening track, this song has it all. It's got the the, 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 the drums, the screams, the palm muted rhythms, the it's all the, the the whammy action and the solo it's all there yeah yeah gallops along huh this this one great opening track i thought when when we first heard this i we don't normally discuss the albums beforehand but i think i sent you a meme from indiana jones with that old knight saying you chose wisely <laughs> um because i just love this was such a a feeling of almost being young again when i listened to this and and that energy that you pick up on when you first start getting into medals like wow this was a real wow moment for me i mean such a strong opening track and that last minute or minute and a half the, the breakdown slower chuggy bit towards the end i mean what a riff there i mean and such a payoff after the sort of galloping first part of the song a killer opening track and I think what made the chugging riff at the end so good for me, and they do this really well, is that they just add a little flourish now and then towards the end of the simpler riffs that just sort of kicks it along. Like, um, it, anyway, have a listen. If you haven't, you'll know you'll know what I mean by that. But um, they do chuggy, breakdowny riffs very well. And um, this is a great example of that. I love a couple of other little touches I love. Yeah, that opening scream is, is just a great introduction to the album. The big, oh. And at the end of the first verse, the whole band stops and you just hear Riley Gale say, ooh, <laughs> which uh, was, had some sort of napalm deathy kind of vibe to it there. But really cool. I also love the lyrics here. I think the lyrics of the, on this album are a real highlight to me. And hearing Riley Gale interviewed, the late uh, Riley Gale, he... He's, he's a very intelligent, he was a very intelligent man. He's well read. And I think it shines through in his lyrics. These ones are very much about, in, in keeping with what I think is the overall theme of the album and the artwork on the front, about sort of oppression and, yeah, the sort of, you know, the, that word crushed comes up again and again here. And, and it's sort of about the crushing weight of the Orwellian authoritarian state. I think it's also a comment on the United States and, and its tendency to be to, to veer into authoritarianism would be my take on the lyrics. And, and it's a theme that comes up again and again. Yeah, we'll get into some more of that. But yeah, I think, again, just a really metal thing to sing about. It's done intelligently and it's just a, a rocking opening track. It really got me excited for this band and, and for this album. It takes us into track two, which is called Heretic's Fork, which is the name of a medieval portrait of ice, which I guess is another really metal thing to sing about. Uh, I won't go into the details of it. It's a bit gruesome, but if you're interested in what it is they're singing about, you can Google it. Uh, it's This is a manic song. I mean, we, we can talk about influences as we go through track by track. I picked up little influences here and there. I mean, they tend to be... The old school, as we've mentioned, thrash bands. This one had a real kill em all Metallica vibe to me, like a whiplash or something. It almost, uh, it was such energy in this song. It reminded me of one of those big dogs, but when they're still a puppy and they're just, they've got so much energy 
and they've got these long legs and they, they're trying to run, but they sort of running too fast for itself and they, they're almost tripping over and it's that sort of, let's just go here, guys, go, go, go. You know, that sort of vibe to it. I love the solos in this again. The solos throughout this album are a real highlight to me. And again, we get one of those and, and it's always the highlight to me and it's the payoff towards the end of the song where they break out into that chugging, crushing riff. Yeah, this seems to be more a, uh, an anti-religion song, anti-crusade, which is when this torture device was implemented. And a nice little Scott Burns-esque touch at the end with a nice little industrial sound that huck back to Sepultura's Arise. And I know Sepultura is a big influence on this band and it shines through on several tracks, but that was the first time I got that Sepultura feeling at the end of this one. Did you like Heretic's Fork? I did. I didn't. I guess, first off, it uh, title sounds a bit like it could be a, a ghost song, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? yeah true. It's sort of like an MTV Cribs Beelzebub, sort of the, mm. here's, here's my monstrous clock and over here is in the kitchen where I keep the heretic forks. Yeah, no, I, again, it sort of, I, as you said, it, I, I also was sort of, I thought of, I don't know, you said whiplash. I was thinking, uh, hit the lights, something, but yeah, definitely yeah. kind of a Metallica kill them all era. Um, especially, especially in that opening riff, um, here again, the lyrics uh, kind of just to draw on what you said, as far as adding to that is he, there's this line where he says, history's trapped in illusion who sees through who, and it, it does go back full circle if you if you consider that a lot of thrash sort of especially in the early even Metallica got somewhat I mean Megadeth was most notorious for it uh, Slayer did it Metallica did a bit um, but where it was a backlash against sort of that Reagan era Christian conservatism Nuclear Assault Testament also and and they are sort of picking up that mantle here and 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 keeping that theme going and it was something that sort of in the u.s as far as politically was revived again in in the early mm. 2000s which okay so that leads us into the the third track which is conditioned to death and i like how this song comes in on an echo and the hi-hat and then sort of that that opening rhythm and the way that like the, even the singing, he's like this punishing assault. You've got the guitar, the drums. It's all happened like within the first 48 seconds of this song. There is in the first 48 seconds, there's more that happens in this song than in, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what other songs, but in so many other songs. Um, and then you're, you're already right. And then two and a half minutes in the, the guitar comes raging in the song itself is less than three and a half minutes, but it has so many, I didn't think about this, but even now I'm thinking about where, where that comment you made the reference to the dog, just like the little puppy that's just so full of energy and running in a million places at the same time. And in this song, I feel like it just goes through so many different transitions and then when it finally ends in less than three and a half minutes, you're just kind of like, well, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that drumming opening reminded me a little bit of um, Rain in Blood era Slayer, like uh, Criminally Insane. Hmm. You can hear the kick drum in that opening, which is something that is missing or sort of swamped in other parts of the album, and it's something I'll comment on later. And, uh, yeah, I also got a real Beneath the Remains era, early Sepultura vibe in this one. And really thinking about it everywhere on this album, I think Sepultura is a big influence on this band. 
Um, it's not something that they speak about or that I've heard reviewers comment on much. They tend to talk about other bands. Um, but I really picked up on Sepultura as an influence of this band. I love the sample in the last 20 seconds of this song too, that uh, from Robocop 2, I'm going to die. You know what that's like, don't you? It really sucks. <laughs> Such a good sample. Uh, the fourth track and ostensibly the end of side one, Murderer's Row. Again, Sepultura, big, big time vibes here, especially the chorus, which was, it was kind of a mix of Stronger Than Hate and Primitive Future, a couple of their, again, earliest songs. That said, I love it. I love the riffs, love the solos. There's no breakdown chuggy section in this. So it sort of gets its business done without that. Uh, there's also that uh, another one of those Scott Burns, Morrisound Studios industrial effects that Obituary and Sepultura and other bands used back in the late 80s, early 90s in uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay, Florida. So there's a little bit of Tampa on this album as well. Enjoyed it and a nice finish to track one, that side one. Yeah, no, just to add on to what you were saying about the guitar solo, I mean, this is just a classic thrash guitar solo, right? Here we've got like the the, the sweeping chromatic scale solo and it ends by hanging on the whammy bar. Um, and there are multiple, I mean, we've got multiple guitar solos in this one. It's yeah. And it's, nobody does guitar, or I guess people do guitar solos, but I, I don't know. I, it, like we talked a lot about that in Gojira where there was, we, we were missing the guitar solo. And I, I, I like that they're, I like that they're here. They're kind of front and well, they are front and center, intentionally so. Yeah. Um, mm. the, the drums are relentless in this song. This song deserves to kind of just be up there in the pantheon of sort of classic thrash songs. And this is one of them where I was, as of going through trying to figure out what's my favorite song, I don't know that this is my favorite song, but it definitely feels like it needs to be on that greatest hits of thrash of all time. Right, whatever whatever that number is, this this song deserves to be up there. Which leads us into Crossbreaker. This is one where, as you were saying, kind of highlighting the differences. And I don't have much more to add to this song from what sort of we we've, we've started out talking about, other than the bass. I feel like this is the song really kind of where the bass for the first time kind of shines through. The bass kind of holds this song together a little bit, which makes sets it apart a little bit from the others. I can't, as I was listening, this song reminds me of something and I couldn't pinpoint what it was. And I was thinking Slayer, I was thinking Megadeth, sort of the usual. There's some, it reminds me of something. There was a song that was in my head and I couldn't pinpoint what, what the song was. Uh, and this is, we've got backing vocals. This is the second song with backing vocals, um, which is, I guess, worth noting because that wasn't entirely common. Yeah, I mean, you thought, I mean, there's obviously a lot of reverb on the vocals, but then it's like, you know, the, the backing vocals mix is like, you know, hold my beer. You want to hear reverb? Let's uh, have a listen to this. Uh, I think there's way too much reverb on the backing vocals. There's arguably too much on the lead vocals, but those backing vocals, it sounds like he's, I mean, the, the lead singer sounds like he's in a hall. The backing vocals sound like he's at the bottom of a well or something. It's like... Man, the reverb there, man, uh, a bit too much. But uh, yeah, I like this is a, quite a different song in terms of tempo. It's less thrashy. The song that I thought of, and yeah, I agree, it sounded like something for me. It was Orgasmatron by Motorhead in terms of tempo and that relentless sort of 
drum that drives it. Uh, more, more particularly, Sepultura's cover of Orgasmatron by Motorhead. And um, there's more space in this song, as you said, for the bass to shine through and also for the drums. And you, again, you can hear the kick drum here, which it actually sounds good. Like it's there throughout this album, but it's just swamped uh, by just the the sheer volume of and I, I guess the, uh, the, freak, the range of frequencies that the guitars take up. It doesn't leave space for much else on this album, but when they drop away, you can hear that kick drum and it actually sounds really good. I guess it's there on the rest of the album, but it's more like those grace notes we've spoken about early. Like you feel them, but you don't really hear them. And that's going to be a comment for me towards the end. But so Crossbreaker I enjoyed and a bit of a change of pace. And Drown too is slightly different than the next song. So it's a slower one and, you know, a stompier one. The first minute or so anyway, there's a thrashy middle bit and another slow bit. Look, uh, not much more to comment on Drown. It's another anti-religion song, In Faith You Must Drown. And the tempo's, you know, a bit more mixed than some of their other songs. So an enjoyable song, Drown, uh, but yeah, not it's... overly remarkable. No, it's got a nice guttural yell. Uh, the bass has kind of a cool kind of droney sound happening in the background. This is another song where it sounds like it's got three songs in one, and they kind of just mm. this one's a little bit longer than the other one. This is over four and a half minutes, but uh, but yeah, which moves us into Power Trip, and this is the one I think yeah. where I finally was with the drums, where it was like I know that the drums and I understand what they were going for, and the drums were intentionally held back in the mix. But this is the one where I found myself finally just thinking, could you imagine how the song would sound if they had Gojira's engineer, right? If they were, if yeah. the drums were allowed to just shine through, if we could hear the drums as they sounded in the studio when it was being recorded. Um, I had the exact same thought. I was like, send them, send them Mario's number. <laughs> like, someone. Um. The in in the, the the drums they just never let up, which is which is a good thing. Uh, and I, the one thing I was wondering is that so Blake uh, Ibanez or Ibanez is clearly set up as the lead guitar, but it really sounds this song really sounds like the multiple solos are being played on different guitars. And so I was wondering mm -hmm. is is uh, Chris? No, I'm sorry, Nick Stewart. Is he also guitar soloing here, or is Blake Abanez taking all the solos? Is he playing different solos on different guitars? Which is, if he is, that's just I don't know, kind of a kind of a cool little I don't know, just sort of is getting in there with the design. They're like, all right, I'm gonna do this this solo on my SG. This solo is gonna be on my Ibanez because I'm sure he's got one, um, or or however they do it. But it does sound like it. The just the tone of the solos sounds different, which was kind of a cool sort of feature. And each of the songs, this one no different has so much just crammed in by way of dynamics tempo changes um there's like a it's almost like there was a moment where it felt like creeping death but in halftime i don't know the whole thing but then as i was thinking about it i'm like yeah but slayer did this in less than two minutes so i guess i'll, I'll temper some of my awe at that Enjoy the song. You're right. I, I agree with your thoughts. Uh, just, I'll just comment on the lyrics because I think you've summed the music up. Uh, it seems to be a real call to arms and in keep, very much in keeping with the themes of the album and perhaps the band. You know, the system is broken. You're choosing between rebel evil or the police state. 
they pledge deviance from under the flag. So they take some of those uh, patriotic US um, norms and, and play with them as they do, I guess, in the title track. Yeah, very much a song about being an individual, you're breaking free from, from the expectations and the oppression of the state. So, yeah, and I liked the thematically, I liked it. And yeah, an interesting song. A lot, there's a lot in this. I don't know what's the word. We, they call the title track as the song with the same name as the album. I don't know what the, the song with the same name as the band is. Um, is it eponymous? Would you call it the eponymous track? I don't know. It's probably you would, but I'm realizing I didn't even introduce. I didn't introduce the song title, did I? When I, I just jumped power right trip. into it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Track seven. No, power trip. power trip. Oh, okay. All right. Mm. Yeah, and uh, we're already at the last song now, "The Hammer of Doubt," which has a blood simple quote to kick us off. Again, in keeping with that thing, you know, in Texas, you help yourself. So, um, yeah, this is the longest song on the album, but. Most, well, the first minute is sample and lead in, and then the last section is um, sort of outro. This, um, you know, there's a bit of technical wizardry in, in the outro. He sort of spews out the lyrics here. There's just a sort of lyric, lyric cell of let's get as many words in as we can. They're sort of just jamming a lot into the song. Some great changes of pace. And again, that lasts section the slowest section at the end is it's always my favorite part of their songs is the payoff when they get into the chuggy bit and this has got a, a great one to sort of finish off the album and and uh take us out so a nice finish to to the album i thought i think this was my favorite i think i think i'm gonna give it to this song um i think that uh i like the song for everything that it has i it, I like that it, it does feel less rushed for whatever reason. The song feels less rushed than the other songs. Um, it feels like it's kind of the, 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 the riffs that they kind of are allowed to play out a little bit more. I like the sample. I really like the sample. I've never seen the movie. I'm not familiar with the movie, but I do like the sample. Uh, I like how it ends with that sort of you're on your own before breaking into the whole thing. Um, yeah. I like how that sort of ambient noise, that calming kind of ambient noise that happens after the song ends, that sort of outro, uh, I just I like that as a juxtaposition against the intro, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think that that just sort of as a to kind of bookend it works well, and and I like mm-hmm. that when they come out of the chorus, their the guitar has sort of a clean sound, like a non distorted sound coming out of the mm-hmm. chorus, where it kind of just cleans up a little bit, and and I think that that works as well sonically. Mm-hmm. Now, overall thoughts on the album. So this is very obviously, as we've mentioned, a deliberate attempt to sort of capture and bottle the energy and the rawness of the 80s thrash scene. So we've spoken about some of the influences as we've gone through it, Sepultura, Slayer, Metallica, and a lot of the sort of second-tier thrash bands like Exodus, uh, DR Rice, is there some of that hardcore... They, they're called a crossover band. I think they're, it's more thrash than, than anything. And I also got a big influence from the German bands like Creator and Sodom in the sound especially, but also just in the focus on just riff. The, the riff is, is everything to this band. And there's some great riffs on this. There's some great riffs on this album. Um, but we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And for me, that's the production. And I know what they were going for. 
and a lot of it worked. So they were going for a heavy reverb sound that brings back feelings of rawness and, and nostalgia. But i got to say, it wore on me. And by the end, I was like, man, this production sucks. And it actually got in the way of me saying, this is a great album. It's not, I, I love the riffs on this. And it just frustrated me that, and, and really, I don't mind reverby guitars, reverby vocals, all that stuff's fine. But I want to hear, and the focus for me on any metal album is one thing, it's the kick drum. I, that has to be, to me, the thing that drives a metal album. And that's what got me into metal, was just hearing sort of Igor Cavalera's kick or Dave Lombardo's kick drum or even Lars's kick drum on Injustice for All. or You know, that to me is, or Nick Anderson from Entombed, you know, I want a kick drum that I, I, that I hear and that all sort of punches you in the chest, you know. And the kick drum on this album is lost in the wash and it's it's barely discernible when everyone's playing. And it's frustrating. It's really frustrating because you can hear it live. There's some live clips we'll, clips we'll link to. And he's a great drummer. And his kick drums gr works great too. And the fact that you can't hear it much on this album, or if at all, I think it's it's almost a crime. Like, I really want... This album now, I think, has become the poster child for me of great albums that are maybe ruined is too strong a word, but really dragged down by production. I, I feel like... It was a stylistic decision. I see what they were trying to do, but I wish that at some point they'd pulled the pin on it and just said, you know what, let's just mix this, mix this using modern production techniques and it doesn't matter if it makes it a bit more accessible. I wanted to hear the drums, the kick drum, and you know, even the vocals I thought were just so reverby that it became distracting at times. Am I being too harsh? I wonder if they fixed that. I, the only reason I'm saying that is because I know that the next album is the one that sort of propelled them up the charts. And everything that I'm, all the reviews that I had read on this album, the complaint was is that the sound of the album doesn't capture the sound of the performance. And so I think that I'm wondering if the second album, if they're going to, I, I think it's the same producer. I do think that I've looked at it. It, it is the same producer as the, as the prior album. But I wonder if they've that's I think that that was like a decision by the band, because that doesn't seem mm. to be his style. If you if you listen to some of the other bands that he's produced. And I do wonder I'm wondering if they'll fix that for the second that second album. All right. Bam Brown, though. Um, mm. Now. You're going to find the bassist does not appear. What? in my Brown Lowe at all. <laughs> not at all. And well, my he doesn't apologies. appear in the mix either. <laughs> my apologies to Chris Wetzel and, and the Wetzel family. Um, yeah. So my my one point goes to Blake Ibanez or Ibanez yeah, so uh, on guitar. Is third best. The this third is my third best. best my third best. Yeah. Uh, the guitar solos are fun. I enjoyed them. Um, second goes to Riley Gale uh, lyrics. Mm -hmm are on point and the the guttural screams i always appreciate those and so my number one you probably have guessed already is chris ulsh the drummer getting what? the three points from me getting no way <laughs> what is that tell me why tell you why he gets the because it's not his fault he was dropped in the mix 
like the uh, this, okay. the drums what's happening with the drums is the is so good it the drums are amazing it's not his fault he was drowned out in fact in fact i bet he's pissed off as we are about the whole thing yeah right see i i couldn't find a spot for him because because of the mixing and i could hear he's a good drummer and i could but i just found my my experience listening to the drums was one of frustration rather than rather than joy so he's not in my top three neither is the bass player so uh, I've given one point to Riley Gale, uh, who seems to be the creative driver and, and, you know, his vocal performance is excellent, but I think it's just him that, you know, the whole creative vision seems to be his and he brings a real level of sophistication to the lyrics, which is missing from many metal bands. So well done, Riley Gale, RIP. Uh, two, I gave to the rhythm guitarist, Nick Stewart, and Three, so the best on ground was the lead guitar. So this really is a guitar-y album for me. Perhaps too much so, but they're the stars of this album. And those solos from Blake Ibanez is, will be my best attempt at his at the pronunciation. Uh, the standout highlight on this and just the riffs generally. So, yeah, real guitarists sort of showcase and, and an exercise in riff making that uh you know has left me if slightly frustrated at the at the mix still left me with a smile on my face many many times throughout and i'm looking forward to the next one and i just hope i can hear a bit of kick drum and perhaps a little more space for the bass player but we'll see we'll soon find out when we move on to the next album which is course which of course is called nightmare logic you're looking forward to it i am I am for, and I really am looking forward to it from the, I, I haven't listened at all, right? Because those are the rules. Mm -hmm. But I, I do, <laughs> I am wondering, I legitimately, I, I do believe that the, the mix will sound different. Yeah. I think they went for something here. I think it was, um, I get it. I get why. I, I think they were, they were trying to make thrash album that they wanted to hear. But I think that, I mean, you know, if, if they have the sound that's not being captured, I would assume that maybe even the producer would step in and say, all right, fellas, let's, let's capture what you really sound like. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. We'll find out soon. And hopefully our listeners will come with us on the journey as we move on to Nightmare Logic, which is a highly acclaimed album, was featured very prominently in album of the year lists and uh, in metal circles. So looking forward to that one. Come with us on the journey. And thanks for joining us on this one. This has been Unshuffled. As always, you can contact us uh, in several ways. We've got a Twitter account, at UnshuffledPod, where we retweet various Adele-related uh, and other items. Uh, you can email us at uh, unshuffledpod at gmail.com, and we have a website, unshuffledpod.com, where you can find show notes for this show and all our past episodes and uh, our older episodes. I think we're up to 30 or so now, so... Mm. There's a little bit of history already captured on that website, so be sure to check that out too. Thank you to Smallstone and the band Seven Planets for the great song you hear on the intro and the outro. You'll hear it soon at the end of this podcast. The song is called Vanguard off the album Explorer. Be sure to check it out on their Bandcamp page. Pay for a download. It's a great album, well worth a listen. Great uh, fuzzed-up instrumental stoner, really good stuff. And... Thank you, as always, Scott. I enjoyed the chat. It was one of, a quicker episode today, but uh, I think in keeping with the pacing of the band, we've, uh, we've managed to bash this one out pretty quickly too. So 
thanks for doing that and um, looking forward to catching up soon to discuss the next one absolutely thank you Matt and thank you listeners all 12 of you out there yeah. thank you Adele and, and Adele <laughs>